0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon.
1: Our reading is taken from the four Gospels, and we begin with... Jesus' readiness to suffer and die. We will hear about the preparation of the Passover and what happened on that first Monday, Thursday, that day that Jesus celebrated with his disciples the last Passover, and he was eager to celebrate it with them. Now the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. Jesus said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. They plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him, but not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve, Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. Judas asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? They counted out for him 30 silver coins. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus sent two of his disciples, Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, Go into the city, and as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. In the evening at the proper time and the proper hour, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them are given the title benefactor. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves." You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Once you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus took the cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. I am not referring to all of you, I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture that says, He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the book of Job. We're going to read chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, and then also the words in chapter 42, the first six verses. The Lord responded to Job and said, Will the one who makes charges against the Almighty dare to correct him? The one who accuses God should make his case. Job responded to the Lord, he said, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this who spreads darkness over my plans with his ignorant words? I have made statements about things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will ask you questions, and you will inform me. My ear heard about you. Now my eyes see you. So I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, It was the last time in 1945. That would have been right right around uh, the Second World War. When Valentine's and Ash Wednesday shared the same date. Now you got on one side, Valentine's, well this is red roses, this is candy, this is saying I love you to your loved one. This is probably hugs and kisses and maybe even taking your loved one out to eat. And then on the other side, you got Ash Wednesday. And what do you emphasize on Ash Wednesday? Repentance is one of the words. Ashes, sackcloth. Or, because we're considering the theme, God on trial, our word for today is
0: accusations. So if you had to choose between the two, It doesn't
1: sound like Ash Wednesday should really be the day we celebrate, but more so Valentine's. But I say to you, consider, as we consider the words that are before us, we do so understanding that there truly is no greater love in all the world. In fact, the love that is beyond all love is going to be founded in the grace and mercy of our God, especially when we're facing suffering, trials, and temptations. Like Job. We know very little about Job except what the Holy Scriptures tell us. Some have guessed that Job probably lived after Abraham. Some suggest that he maybe lived at the time of Abraham. And then I've read where some will say, no, he was before the time of Abraham, reminding us that Yes, there were believers before Abraham. We do know, as the scripture tells us, that Job was actually considered the greatest of men of the East. Great, especially because he had large number of animals and flocks as part of his business. And in fact, by today's standards, we could easily say he's a multimillionaire, if not a multi-billionaire. What also makes him great is is the fact that he was considered to be very wise. So people would always go to him for advice. But what definitely made him great is the fact that he feared the Lord. That even in his suffering and temptations and even the trials that he would face in his life, he never cursed God and nor did he never deny the the true God in unbelief even though his emotions will be going up and down and sideways and that ways, and and even though he will be wrestling with his emotions, he never denied the Lord. What Job didn't know, but the Lord reveals to us, is that Satan wanted to tempt Job. And, to our surprise, the Lord allows this. But the Lord only allows Satan to only go so far and and only to do so much. For the Lord will oftentimes use even the temptations of Satan for a greater good. And that's what he did for Job. So the Lord allowed Satan to tempt him. And one way that he tempted him is in one day he will have three different servants come to him from three different flocks of animals that he has. And tell them how they've all been killed and wiped out. He's going to hear in one day that this man who's probably the richest man around has now become the poorest man. And then a fourth servant comes to say how there was a violent wind and it destroyed the house where his children were feasting. He had seven sons. He had three daughters, all dead and gone. And yet, Job would say some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. He would say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. The very next day, he is now overwhelmed with terrible boils from head to toe. He's actually sitting in ashes, which I would think would be the worst place to sit. And he's in so much pain that he's actually taking broken pottery and he's scraping the boils. Sitting in ashes. Wouldn't you worry about infection? And of course, even doctors today will tell you, don't be scraping a boil because it'll definitely leave an ugly scar. But he still scraped him because he was in so much pain. His wife couldn't even take it anymore. And according to her moral standards, she begged him to curse God and die. He was already looking like he was dying. And then after that would come his friends, three of them. The good news is that for three days, the friends didn't say anything to him. They just sat with him. The bad news was, after those seven days, the friends decided to talk. And what they said of Job was no help to him at all. In fact, their philosophy and belief about God is the same belief that many have today. In other words, if if your life is going so great and wonderful, it must be because God's happy with you and what you're doing. Because you're being blessed by God. But if things aren't going well with you and you're facing a lot of suffering and trials, it must be that God is angry with you. So what Job needed to do was to confess his sins, to admit his wrong, and then the Lord would turn and bless him. Which is all based on works. Do this work, and God will do this for you. For 37 chapters... We will hear over and over his friends and the reply that Joseph, that Job would have with them, over and over, drilling that he needs to repent, that he needs to repent, and, and that he needs to confess, that he needs to, to point out what he's done wrong, and then God will forgive him and bless him. It, it became so overwhelming that even Job was getting caught up in their life to the point where he was praying to God that he wanted God on trial. He wanted to face God. God needed to explain himself. He was ready to stand up to God and put God in his place. And isn't that oftentimes the same temptation we can be overwhelmed with? as we look at our own lives and maybe lives aren't turning out the way we want maybe the dream life is is gone maybe the things we were hoping to accomplish isn't getting done maybe maybe even the number the amount of money we were hoping to make and we don't make or, or the job that we wanted to have we didn't get And then we start to ask the questions as we accuse God. God, why? Now, asking why is not sinful in and of itself when it comes with a heart that wants to learn. But when why comes with the attitude of accusing and making accusations against God, then we say, why, 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 why me? Why are you doing this? Why didn't you give me the kind of spouse that I really wanted so I could have a happy marriage everlasting? Why did you give me the house that I wanted? Why didn't you give me the job? Why didn't you give me the kids that I really yearn for? Why didn't you give me what I want and what I need? Don't God Doesn't God owe us all a happy life? And when we don't have a happy life, Then we find ourselves angry with God? My mind doesn't work the way it used to. My body has all these aches and pains. I don't walk like I ought to. And as I get older, I find that, that the things in my life are just getting harder and harder to do. Why, God? And why me? Here was the Lord's answer to Job. Will the one who makes charges against the Almighty dare to correct him? The one who accuses God should make his case. You're going to put me on trial? No, the Lord says he's going to put Job on trial. Notice he doesn't give Job what he really deserves. Job deserves to be silenced. Job deserves to be put in his place. Job deserves to have the ground open up and suck him in so that he'll never be seen or heard of again. But the Lord doesn't do any of that. Instead, the Lord replies to him. This has to be a... Evidence of pure grace and love. A love that's truly undeserved. And I always like to say a love that loves the unlovable. This This is the love that God has in putting Job in his place to wake him up. To see what Job cannot see. He reminds Job, already starting at chapter 38. Did you set up this entire universe? Did you lay out the foundations of this earth? Did you lay the cornerstone, which is the very first stone to be laid when this earth was created? Were you you the one who laid the boundaries of the sea so that they wouldn't overwhelm the land? Were you the one who hung the stars in the sky And brings them out each evening? Are you you the one who brings rain and snow and lightning on the earth? Are you the one who even taught the hawk how to fly? Who are you? And Job would reply, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. The sin of Job was trying to judge God using human standards, using his own standards. And so in replying to God, he will bring up things that God has said to him, and now we'll hear his reply. For instance, God said, who is this who spreads darkness over my plans with his ignorant words? And Job replied, I have made statements about things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. The truth is, is our creator God is not limited. Please, my dear friends, do not limit him and limit him and limit him to human standards. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are always greater than our thoughts. This is a compassionate and loving God who knows all things and knows what's best for us. We think we know what's best for us, but we don't. He does. We can only see what is around us. We seem to control only those things that are around us. And even that we we don't control well. But God sees it all. God controls it all. This is the Almighty. Even the, the Lord would say, listen now, I will speak. I will ask you questions and you will inform me. And Job replies, my ear heard about you. My ear heard about you. My Now my eyes see you. This very God, he reveals himself to us in his very holy word. That's an act of pure grace and mercy that we can look into the very mind of God and to see how God feels and what God thinks and what God says and what God promises. Who are we to take that holy word and tell God what to do with it and twist and turn it instead of letting God speak for himself? We too must join Job in saying, I despise myself. Even Jesus, when he said to his disciples on how to make on, on what it means to be a disciple, he would start with the words deny yourself. Deny the thinking you can save yourself. Deny the thinking that you can earn it and and, and you deserve it. He despised himself because he was a sinful human being who deserved nothing from the Lord. And so he concludes by saying, I repent in dust and ashes. Oftentimes we hear the phrase sackcloth and ashes. And what is interesting is that was always sackcloth and ashes and the wearing of the sackcloth and sitting in ashes was always a sign of deep sorrow. But it was quite a cultural thing. We don't hear a a lot of it even before Job and we don't even hear much of sackcloth and ashes even at the time of Jesus. So the heart of repentance is not sackcloth and ashes. But the heart of repentance is certainly includes the sorrow for sin. But that's not even the most important part. The most important part is faith. Trusting in the very Lord who by his grace and mercy would come and deal with a man who is suffering terribly. And gave him hope and love and assurance. We're told that Job was speaking to the Lord, and this is that word in all four capital letters. This is the four letter Hebrew word. This is the great I am. This is the Savior God. This is the God who has made us. This is the God who has knit us together in our mother's womb. This is the God who has blessed us with talents and abilities. This is with a God who has given us a mind. No two people are the same. He's made us each unique and special. And in fact, this is the very God who didn't just stop after he made us, but he preserves us and watches over us and even sends the guardian angels to be with us. This is the very God who didn't stop there. This is the very Lord who gave his life to pay for our sins on the cross. This is the Lord who took on human flesh so that he could make that ultimate sacrifice. And the result of that sacrifice is the greatest gift that you and I could ever have. It is the gift that our souls are so badly yearning for. The forgiveness of sins. And where there's forgiveness... There is hope, peace, joy, comfort. To know that I'm a child of God. Yes, I'm by nature a sinful human being. But with sins paid for in full, I'm a child of God and an heir of everlasting life because of Jesus, my Savior. I would say the most beautiful words that Job spoke was just a few chapters ago when he would say, even before his friends, I know that my Redeemer lives. And after my skin has been destroyed, I will see God with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. And because my Savior lives, I live. All because of the grace and mercy Of my God. Valentines, hugs and kisses, it's sweet. But compared to Ash Wednesday and celebrating our Savior who suffered and died for the sins of the world, the very Lord who, even in the light of suffering and trials and temptations, still loves us, still has not given up on us, Blesses us with the promise to be with us always to the very end of the age. That, my friends, is love beyond love. In fact, that's the greatest love of all. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.